0: Hosting for With the First Link on the Trek Geeks Network is brought to you by Fansets, creators of cool pins and memorabilia from your favorite franchises. Visit fansets.com and use code FIRSTLINK, all capital letters, for your exclusive 10% discount. And right now, listeners of With the First Link will be selected to win one of two Fansets Deep Space Nine or Voyager Insignia pins. All you need to do is follow our Instagram profile at First Link Pod, leave a review of one of our episodes, or follow our new Twitter account, also at First Link Pod. Have you already subscribed on social? No worries, you're already entered into the giveaway. But if you sign up on the new Twitter account or leave a comment, you get a second entry. Entries close November 30th, with the winner announced December 3rd. Thanks to all of you for supporting us this first season of With the First Link. Engage!
1: Hello and welcome to With the First Link, the podcast that hopes to make our future as bright and as just as the one that we see in Star Trek The Next Generation. And we think that one way to do that is to recap and discuss the entire series, one episode at a time, doing our best to look at it all through an anti-oppression, pro-diversity, anti-racist lens. I'm Ruthie Kaupersamushi.
0: And I'm Matthew Simone, and today we'll be talking about The Neutral Zone. This episode was written by Maurice Hurley and Deborah McIntyre and directed by James L. Conway. It first aired on May 14th, 1988.
1: For today's check-in, Matthew, would you ever want to get cryogenically frozen and then woken up centuries later? Yes. Really? Okay. Tell me more. Absolutely.
0: Yeah, I, I think, like, especially, well, okay. It, I guess part of it depends on the circumstances. Like, these people were dead. Right. And so the only chance at life was at some point in the future when medical science had caught up with whatever was going on with them. But personally, there's kind of a temptation right now where, I'm like, we look at the state of the world. And yeah. Like, maybe if, if you could go to sleep and then wake up and know that it would be Star Trek future... <laughs> then I would probably be like, yeah. I mean, count me in. That's yeah. that. That seems like a great place where the hopes and dreams that I have for society have been realized, and I could make a contribution to that society in the future, knowing that I could like get enrolled in Starfleet Academy or be a member of the Federation. Like, all oh, that sounds great. So basically, in a way, I'm 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 giving a, a shortcut answer to this because I'm kind of answering it as if like, could you go to sleep and wake up in Star Trek? Then I would say, yeah. <laughs> For sure. Right, which
1: is not quite the question, although it is like best case scenario, maybe. Best
0: case scenario, yeah. Like maybe you don't know what that future is going to be like. But probably then the conceit here is that it would be an escape.
1: Mm.
0: I should probably stick around and try to help with the present and what's going on with the world now. Because this is the time that I live in. Yeah. What about you? Would you do that?
1: I I'm pretty squarely in no for a couple reasons. <laughs> all right. One is um okay, so I think I think like you mentioned in this episode, the fact that these people all it was either like you fully die or you I don't know, just die a little bit and then get frozen. So it's not like they're missing out on a part of their life that they would Mm -hmm. otherwise have participated in. So, so, but because that is my first thing, like if you you can't just miss out on part of your life, like what if something amazing was going to happen? That would be sad. So that's the first thing. But the second thing is kind of like what you said about like waking up in a Star Trek universe, but I think mine's a little less optimistic. Um, I feel like I don't, I mean, the future feels so uncertain I don't know that I want to skip hundreds of years and be like, well, where are we going to... Are humans even going to still be around at that point? Like, what's going to... What's the state of our world going to be? And I don't know if I want to know.
0: Yeah, the planet might even be worse.
1: Exactly. Yeah.
0: You just might wake up in a barren desert somewhere.
1: Right. Or, I mean, maybe the planet will be fine, but our species will be extinct.
0: Right. So, and then what... Yeah. I mean, (laughs) would that be bad? Like... I don't, it might be That's lonely. I like, was sort of thinking, yeah, I was speaking more in terms of loneliness. Like when you wake up and be like, okay, well, now the earth is just inhabited by like giant sloths or something. And that's that's right. my, my only friends.
1: Right. And then they see me and they're like, what is this creature? Yeah. Yeah. Might be a bit weird.
0: These stories, I can't think now off the top of my head. I mean, there's a couple stories where the, the character is suspended in animation and then wakes up in the future. And generally speaking, that future seems to be better. If I'm right. thinking of those stories, like, if you think of, uh, I guess, Futurama. Maybe. Yeah, that's
1: what I was thinking mostly is the premise of yeah. Futurama.
0: And then this, this Star Trek episode. But what if you had a story where the person goes to sleep and then wakes up and things are worse?
1: Well, isn't that, like, the time machine? It's a little different. It's time travel. But I was thinking, actually, in in getting ready for this, I was thinking that, like, this is effectively time travel.
0: Yeah, that's essentially what it is.
1: And so in the time machine, like... I never read the book, but the movie. He ends up like super far in the future, and is like, "Oh wow, this is not good."
0: Yeah, there are stages along that journey of the future that are not good. Yeah, know? and maybe that's more of a lesson of of wanting to skip ahead and what could mm-hmm. happen. Although they had the capability of be able to go back, in this case, you can't. Right. You can't go to sleep and wake up in the past. It doesn't work, it doesn't no. work that
1: way. No, no. Much as we sometimes. Might want to,
0: but I I have been I think in, it has put into question my my hope for the future, and I I think probably more now than ever I I seem to be encountering or reading about it's I think like a general sentiment right now is that is that people are are generally quite worried about the Earth's future right now, and yeah. and the fragility of our society and civilization, and I think a lot of those weaknesses were certainly exposed by COVID. I guess if I were going to be dead. Then yeah, I would take the option. But if someone just said you could just go to sleep and wake up in the future, I feel I do feel like I have a certain obligation to the present and the challenges that are that are going on in this world. And I don't I don't know if I make much of a contribution. I do in my own way. I try. <laughs> right. I talk about science and climate change and right. and with audiences and 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 trying to get us all thinking about these things. But I think I feel like I should maybe stick around and do what I can for this world because this is the world that I've lived in. It's the world that's given me resources that I can that I've used to survive with and and where I there's people that I know who would get who would you do the podcast with?
1: Who would I do the podcast with? Yeah, no, you're definitely not allowed to to skip ahead while we're before we hit the end of season 7. All right. So, <laughs> that that I'll put my foot down on that. What's the um what's the Gandalf quote about like everybody who is who lives through difficult times wishes they had been like alive at a different time but that's not for us to decide all you have to decide is what to do with the time that is given to you but what if
0: you're given more time
1: more time yes but not not the choice to like skip ahead yeah yeah
0: yeah and that's right that's i guess that's what the distinction is in this Mm -hmm. case yeah it's not just skipping it ahead it's that you're you're being given more time but this is how it how it has to work
1: yeah i think that's fair well, that was a nice little check-in for a nice little episode.
0: <laughs> this this idea of like what our obligation is to society seems to be a big one that's come up these days too, right? Yeah. It's just it's because there seems to be a breakdown in some of our understanding of the fact that we are connected to a wider society and that we do have I think obligations to that society and that's important to recognize.
1: And I think like society and then also global obligations Mm -hmm. that don't just because I think that one problem is that people sometimes kind of look towards the needs of their own community and that does make sense but that is not I don't think that's okay to do at the expense of the rest of the world
0: yeah like I I think I've given thanks to Star Trek Mm. for having been shown a global mindset right since childhood like I've always I think I've always had that notion. Actually, I did a rewatch yesterday of Star Trek IV, The Voyage Home, the one with the whales. Yeah. And realizing that even back when I – like, that was five years old when that movie came out. It's the first movie I remember seeing in theaters. Right. And how already there was this environmental message that had come across in this film and this idea that we have to take care of the planet as a whole, the Enterprise crew – have to go back in time and recover these whales to repopulate the species in the future and that we are essentially going to be responsible for our own destruction and that we had been at, at one point in the past and that even though the future has changed, it is different. We're paying the price now for this environmental damage we had done yeah. to our planet in the past. And so I've always had this I- this idea of the environment and our sort of global connection uh, through my running through my whole life and i i guess i have star trek to think of th- thank for that
1: yeah and just the idea that like it comes up throughout it comes up a little bit in this episode but that humanity once realizing that we weren't alone in the universe decided to get its act together basically yeah it is really frustrating that the various crises that have been going on over the last several years have not been enough for us to like get our act together, work together globally to fix them. Like we couldn't do that for COVID. It doesn't look like we're doing that for climate change. We can't do it for human rights. Like what is what what is it going to take for humanity to learn to work together?
0: Yeah, and it might require a change in just how we do decision making. We just had an election here in Canada. We did. And I think I was probably like the least excited I was for any election I've ever participated in. I was angry about it. Yeah. It's just like I don't – this feels like completely useless. It's just – I. it's it's fascinating to sit down and and have to vote for candidates and be like none of these people are still really seem to be talking about climate change. Yes. (laughs) It's like it's the most – It's like having a whole bunch of people that are sitting around together in a house and they're all talking about how they're going to run for leadership of that household, but none of them are talking about the fact that the roof of the house is on fire. Yeah. And it's just, it's very strange.
1: All right. Well, I guess, I guess that means we're sticking in this time period.
0: It looks like we're together, Ruthie.
1: Okay. Sounds good. <laughs> then I guess we can do the rest of the episode.
0: In this episode, the Enterprise investigates outposts that have disappeared in the neutral zone. Meanwhile, three cryogenically frozen people find themselves revived on board the Starship Enterprise.
1: <laughs> what a premise.
0: <laughs> Picard's at a conference. Yeah. And he's going to be back in several hours, and they found a centuries old space capsule from Earth, just happened to be floating around. And I was I'm kind of taken aback that Riker. Doesn't seem to care. It's just like, I don't know. Why would you want to check this out? It's
1: just a derelict. So one thing I heard about this episode or one thing I read was that there was actually like a strike happening around the time it was written. So it, it didn't go through the number, the the same number of rewrites that episodes usually go through. Oh, okay. So that's why um, it might feel some things might feel a little off. Like yes, the fact that Riker is like, oh, why do you want to investigate this thing? It's not like we're <laughs> on a mission of exploration or anything. Yeah. Why like do you that. want
0: to explore? It's silly.
1: Yeah, it it is funny. And then D- yeah, Data's like, I oh, I want to check it out, and Riker's like, well, I don't understand why, but okay. And he and Worf uh, beam onto this this space capsule, and Riker is very clear, like, make sure you're back before Picard returns. Um, He's basically like, we're not supposed to be fooling around when the captain's away.
0: Yeah, we shouldn't be exploring without the captain.
1: No, we should be sitting quietly and just waiting. Hanging out, floating
0: in space. The ship seems to have technology that's, like, even before the original series, it looks like a pre-warp vessel, which kind of asks the question as to how it got this far into space, but... Yeah. Data says he might be able to find out what it is by downloading the quote-unquote old-style disk drive. Yeah. <laughs> I was waiting for them to like, whip out a floppy disk or whatever.
1: Also, like, there's a door that doesn't open automatically, so Worf is like, oh, it must have been sealed shut with age, and it's going to like use his phaser to open it data's like no no it's okay you can just use the handle which like surely they have encountered doors like this before
0: they're in conflict now over how they both resolve stuff because data could just like brute force the door open Worf's like i want to shoot things.
1: yeah i will also say that like Worf's reaction now that I think about it makes a little bit of sense because when I find a door that like doesn't open the way I think it will open my first assumption is that like something's broken or locked and not that like I just opened it wrong because Worf like he literally walks into it expecting it to open automatically and was like oh it must be broken
0: right yeah because they're all used (laughs) to that happening we walk up to a door it's just gonna open on its own and if something doesn't open we shoot it
1: Yeah. So the room is filled with these like refrigerated pods. They're like human size pods. Most of them have like skeletons in them. And then I thought it was really creepy. There's one that's empty. Like what happened to the person who was in there?
0: Maybe they didn't have a full house.
1: Right before we go into the intro, Worf finds one and is like, Data, look at this. And there's like a, a pretty white blonde woman.
0: That's the lead into the intro. Bum bum bum. Bum
1: bum bum.
0: And date and war find that there are at least three bodies that are still alive, and that they were designed for refrigeration, rather than for an extended journey. And I don't know what the difference in that that would be.
1: I think it's like this was storage. It wasn't like these people were on their way somewhere.
0: But we still that still doesn't explain why the craft is as far out in the space. No,
1: but it's like it's not like in um like an alien where they go they they were they sort of freeze themselves. They put themselves in stasis to travel far distances.
0: The neutral zone is really far away from Earth. And for a sublight vessel to get this far out into space would literally take millions of years. I'm probably overthinking the the travel plot story, space and astronomy parts of this. Maybe it fell into like a wormhole.
1: Yeah, you're putting more thought (laughs) into it than I think the writers did. (laughs)
0: Oh yeah, maybe. That's okay. So Picard is on his way back.
1: The timing of this was very confusing to me because they're like... We have several hours, and then it's like they just find these three people. Like, how long were they on that ship for?
0: So, yeah, I guess <laughs> I'm not sure why this is taking so long.
1: Yeah. But anyway, Picard is like, all right, I'm on my way back. I want to get going as soon as possible. And Riker's, Riker's like, okay, Data, wharf, get back right now. But Data explains that they found these three containers, and he thinks it would be best to take them back to the Enterprise. And I'm sure nothing could go wrong there.
0: Yeah, yeah, to, <laughs> so this is the start of every sci-fi horror film. <laughs> Picard comes onto the bridge and tells La Forge to lay it a course that will take them into the neutral zone. And everyone's surprised by this because typically you don't go into the neutral zone. Yeah. So what? first of all, what is the neutral zone?
1: Okay, yeah, I have some questions. Okay, first of all, the neutral zone is this buffer between Federation space and Romulan space, right? Hmm. To be honest, it's been a little while since I looked at the uh, map that... Uh, friend of the pod, Tom, gave to both of us.
0: I don't even know if that map was standardized even by this point yet in right. Star Trek.
1: My sister brought something up, which I'm going to bring up here. Okay. There's Romulan space and the neutral zone and Federation space. Mm-hmm. But the Enterprise is exploring all of this unexplored space. Is the space that they are exploring... Has it already been designated as Federation space, even if there are these planets that no one has been to?
0: That's a good question, Ruthie, and I don't have an answer for it. I'm not really sure. Maybe it's unexplored space on the other side of explored Romulan space.
1: Like Romulan space is just kind of annexed between... Federation space and unexplored space. Maybe,
0: yeah. Because I guess, how could it be unexplored and then be... How would you have a neutral zone as a buffer to an unexplored region of space? Like, how could you make... Yeah, it doesn't make any sense. Yeah. You're right. It's... Right now, it's a zone of plot. Yes. A place that usually you wouldn't want to go into because you'd be in violation of treaty with the Romulans. I don't think at this point the neutral zone... Because there was also a neutral zone between the Federation and Klingon territory. But I think that's gone now.
1: That was in original Trek, right? Yeah.
0: So yeah, that was, I think that was an original trek. And so we're heading there at Warp 8, and he wants this, to meet with the staff on the observation deck.
1: Right. So Picard explains to Riker, Worf, Data, and Troy, notably not LaForge, I feel, um, that two Federation outposts in the neutral zone have been destroyed, and then there are others that haven't been heard from in a long time. So Worf suspects that this is uh, the Romulans doing, and Picard says that that's that's Starfleet's idea as well. And Riker says there has been no conf- no contact with the Romulans since the Tomed incident.
0: That was a bad time. That was a bad. What time. what
1: was the Tomed incident?
0: I don't. I don't know. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> but we're we're meant to think that it was yeah. it was must have been bad.
1: Yeah. And so Picard says that it's been fifty years since. I guess since like the Federation has heard from them, but they there clearly was some contact because Worf talks about the Kettmer incident where his parents were killed. That involved Romulans. He in this episode he says like they attacked that that was within fifty years. There's no way Worf is over fifty. Anyway, that's a little confusing.
0: That, yeah, I guess the time I'm, maybe they don't count that because it wasn't directly an attack on the Federation. Maybe. Although the Kettmer is Kettmer is is that a That is a Klingon territory, I believe. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, so Starfleet plans to send a ship to figure out what's going on. And of course, it's the Enterprise. Yep. They want to establish relations with the Romulans or figure out what what the next move is going to be, but not to engage in any battle. And Troy reiterates that there is limited information. So we really don't know. The Romulans are very mysterious at this point. We've seen them in the original series. Yeah. We've yet to see them in Next Generation.
1: Yeah. And how often did they show up in the original series?
0: You know, I don't really remember, because it's been a long time since I've done any rewatch of original series. One of my favorite original series episodes that features the Romulans is called Balance of Terror, and it stars Mark Leonard, who later goes on to play Sarek, as the Romulan commander that the Enterprise is playing a cat and mouse game with.
1: Yes, yeah, I like that one. One thing that Picard specifically says, and he's talking about more about the Romulans, but he specifically says... I want no surprises, which you would think that would be a good time for Riker to be like, hey, you should know that this thing happened while you were off the ship.
0: Right. Yeah. (laughs) But it's awkward. So he doesn't want to bring it up at the time.
1: He doesn't. So instead, Crusher tells him she's like. Uh, the people from the capsule that Data brought in. And he's like, the who from the what? That, yeah. I'm sorry, <laughs> what just happened? Because
0: and- Rike was like, oh, I'll just let someone else yeah. tell him.
1: So she's like, yeah, I thawed them. And he's like, I beg your pardon. <laughs>
0: yeah. And I guess Data received permission from somebody to thaw these people out or whatever.
1: Crusher says that, like, they're, they were falling apart, like, the 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 crypts she says that were holding them were like yeah. falling apart so she made the medical decision i guess she's allowed to
0: because yeah i guess in her mind they're not they they might be dead but they are revivable for now current technology which is kind of the whole point yeah of, of freezing them to begin with so they all had conditions that would have been terminal in their time when they were frozen but she has healed them and now they are they're not dead they are now sleeping in sickbay and each had been frozen after they died yeah Phryonics, she called it this 20th century fad where where people feared dying so much that they were frozen at the moment of death as if, you know, we, we've we gotten over this yeah, fear now. Yeah, but
1: you, you remember that fad, right, in the late 90s? Everyone was freezing themselves.
0: I do remember that being talked about quite a bit.
1: I remember it from Austin Powers.
0: <laughs> well, yeah. Yeah, that's another time. Was the future better in his case when he Well, woke he up? went from
1: the 60s to the 90s. yeah. So he didn't like it. as I, It's been a long time since I've seen Austin Powers, and I, I yep. honestly don't think I'm going to watch it anytime soon. <laughs> no,
0: not for research, for the podcast. Yeah. Yeah, but this, I do remember this was a thing where people were starting to talk about being frozen. So I guess that was around this time that, that the episode was written.
1: Yeah, and there was, like, like, I definitely remember it coming up in Futurama as well. Like, in addition to that being the whole premise, there was the whole, like, saving famous people's heads and all of that stuff.
0: Yeah, there's a lot of heads and jars in Futurama. <laughs> that was a thing.
1: So, okay, I guess it was a fad. It just didn't didn't take. It was more of a fad in, like, talking about it, not in actually doing it.
0: I guess at the time, we've been talking about other fads that rich people do. So, in the past, it was freezing yourself. Now, it's yeah, going it's to going space. going to space. And now we have both together in this episode.
1: Yeah, there we go.
0: Picard asks Data to come to sickbay and tries to explain why he's upset about what Data did. And Data understands the point that they were already dead, but... He says, like, it seems like the right thing for us to do was... And this whole time, Data's like, hey, why aren't we exploring? Why aren't we helping these people? Why aren't... You know, isn't that also our mission? And so he seems to be trying to keep them all on point,
1: basically. I think part of Picard's thing is he's not actually upset that Data did this, but he's just frustrated that it's happening now. And he's trying to communicate this without, like... Blaming Data, Mm -hmm. and I think he does a pretty good job. He's like, like as soon as Data's like, yeah, I don't know, it seemed like the right thing to do. Picard is like, okay, fine, we'll just add that to my plate of things to deal with right now, in addition to the Romulans.
0: A lot of what the Enterprise does is always seems to be pulled in these two directions. Either it's engagement in sort of these galactic politics and grand overarching plots that affect the galaxy versus these tiny storylines that are more of like a human element and you have both of those come together in this one episode and data that's the fulcrum of both yeah. saying like yeah we know that these big things are going on but it's also important for us to remember like these small more human stories as well and you kind of both in this episode
1: yeah so picard decides before we wake these three uh people up uh that he needs security so he just calls Worf. They start with the blonde woman. Crusher, like, sprays her. And, like, she starts off waking up and she looks really happy. And then she looks really confused. And then she sees Worf. And we get the, like, goofy little theme song.
0: And then she faints. And then she faints, yeah. As, he do, as you know, he do. Yeah,
1: I mean, fair enough. Then we get a little commercial break. And then as we come back, Data decides to tell everyone about the information that he found in the capsule's computer. So it's a little weird that he's like talking about them as they're waking up. The first one is Claire Raymond. She's 35 years old. She is a homemaker and died of an embolism. So that would have been sudden. Then the second one is Ralph Offenhaus, a 55-year-old financier who died of advanced cardiomyopathy. And so he would have known for a while that he was going to die. And then the last one is LQ, LQ Sonny
0: Clemens.
1: So he's a musician and he died. It looks like like drug drug use.
0: He's one of my favorite musicians. I've listened to his stuff for years.
1: I have a, a comment to make. Yes. Okay, so Data's talking about Claire Raymond being a homemaker and he makes a you know, the little throwaway line of, oh, I guess she worked in construction, which like, okay, it's funny. Like, you know, data, data's lack of knowledge is sometimes funny. Here's my issue. I I could make a comment about how like taking care of the home is traditionally women's work and therefore it's not valued, but that's not the comment I'm going to make. How is it that in a century where they don't care about money anymore, no one is confused by the job of financier.
0: Right. But they are by homemaker.
1: <laughs> yeah. Homemaker, that doesn't make any sense. But fi- like, and I had to kind of Google like what, what is a financier? Because it's the kind of thing that I've only like heard about and like. kind of
0: thing that people like you and me wouldn't know a lot know. about or I'd necessarily understand. And yeah. it's
1: like basically what you, how you become a financier is you have a lot of money or you have access to a lot of other people's large sums of money.
0: He's basically like a stockbroker, right? I guess. Except If we had this for modern time, this guy, he would have been woken up and been talking about like crypto all the time or whatever. <laughs>
1: totally. Yeah, 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 He'd definitely be into like NFTs or stuff like that. Yeah,
0: he's like, I got all this Bitcoin. Yeah. What's it doing these days?
1: Yeah. And like, but there are different, like I was Googling it and there are different kinds of financiers. And some of them are like, yeah, people who are like stockbrokers or like, do a lot of trading and that kind of stuff. But some of them are just like people who already have a bunch of money and use it to fund things.
0: Sounds great. (laughs) Yeah. So I would use it to fund space exploration. That
1: to me is the most, out of these three people, that's the most confusing. Like what do you mean your job was to have money? I thought people had jobs so that they could have money. (laughs)
0: Right, yeah, I think that's where some of, like, the present-day bias seeps through in this episode because that character, I think, receives or will receive the most kind of, like, judgment and disdain from mm-hmm, the crew. Mm-hmm. But it it probably should have elicited the most confusion because probably people would, would be like, what, why, how is this a job? Yeah. What, what are you doing? I also, like, there's a thing here where they mention Sonny Clemens died of deterioration of yeah. his system from chemical use. Yeah. And there's a comment here that Picard makes. He says sounds like someone who hated life. Yeah. And I was like that's pretty judgy, Super judgy. as well yeah. because as we get to know Sonny Clemens I I don't think he hates life at all.
1: Yeah, he if, seemed to really anything, enjoy it.
0: He might enjoy things a little bit too much.
1: But it also yeah it was like it was like he's he hates living but he's too afraid to die and yeah it was there was a lot of judgment.
0: There was, yeah. I just
1: felt like he was the kind of guy who was like, well, I'll try anything once, including <laughs> yeah. being cryogenically frozen.
0: <laughs> We're frozen, yeah. Yeah. I mean, obviously he wanted to keep living. Yeah. Anyways, so Picard leaves for the bridge and he tells Riker to take charge of the guests, but just keep them out of the way because I have important space politics stuff to do and we don't want to deal with them. And Riker tries to explain to them what's going on, which is obviously an overwhelming task. Yes. You know, often House kind of like, starts in with the classic stuff he wants to know like is the enterprise american what year is it we learned you know. it's
1: 2364 i don't know if we had that specific year before but it's yeah. 2364 clemens wants to know what what data is and then he's also like am i alive like like did this work i need i need someone to say it and they're like yep you're yeah. alive
0: yeah, because if you wake up in an environment that's so strange, yeah. who knows? Maybe you're like, is this the afterlife? Like, what what is going on?
1: The afterlife waiting room.
0: The afterlife, Yeah, the <laughs> lobby. We're in the lobby of the of the afterlife. Yeah. Raymond is confused because she didn't know that she died, right? You, the other two had, had pre-existing conditions.
1: Yeah.
0: She thinks that, like, maybe her husband maybe had frozen her after she had died. Couldn't, yeah. couldn't live to part with her, or the possibility that she may return one
1: day. Right. So we sort of see their personalities. Like, like you said, Offenhouse is very, like... Is this American? And he's all he, you know, wants to check on his bank and and see his portfolio or look at the Wall Street Journal. Clemens yeah. is more <laughs> of a like, yeah, this this seems like fun. This is the next adventure. And then Raymond is like, she's just really trying to figure out, like, she's coming to terms with the fact that like, a, she died, b, yeah. she didn't die, and right, then like, right. c, everyone she knows is gone.
0: Yeah. Yes.
1: So, yeah, there is there we have a range of personalities here.
0: Back on the bridge, Troy is explaining what an encounter with the Romulans might be like and that they are creatures of extremes. Uh, we know that they are related to Vulcans, yeah. but they are very different. So Vulcan and Romulus, they, they basically split off from each other. Romulans went on to continue to be these passionate, right. uh, you know, beings. And whereas the Vulcans try to temper themselves with the cooling force of logic. Yep. They believe that they are superior to everyone else and certainly... That may be true from maybe a technological standpoint. There, there might be, you know, they've always kind of rivaled the Federation in that case, mm-hmm. at least. Uh, but they are curious about humans, and which has kept the peace. And they tap. They typically won't make the first move of aggression in a conflict.
1: Right, or at least like maybe this is this is me with my other knowledge of Romulans coming in. Like they won't outright make the first move. They might try to right. goad someone into making the first move. Mm-hmm. But they won't – they'll, like, keep that plausible deniability.
0: Back in their crew quarters, Clemens orders this massive meal from a recul- replicator. He's like, a steak and a mess of greens. Yeah. And and I was like, yeah, that's – you know, like if you could eat anything you wanted from a replicator, you'd, sure. you'd probably be eating lavishly often. But then, <laughs> then switches that meal. He's like, ah, oh, forget it. I still have a martini with two olives.
1: That – it's so funny. <laughs> I have been recently, like, having a hard time because – It's like, oh, I'm too tired to cook. And like, do I want to order something? And while I have never gone from like a massive meal to like, no, I want a martini instead, I've definitely like switched back. Be like, oh, I'm going to order like this massive thing. Actually, no, I'm just going to have a couple of apples for now. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) That's classic. Like, I don't know what my body needs at the moment.
0: There's also usually a financial concern there that these individuals no longer have, which is a nice thing. Yeah. It would be nice to at least wake up in a future where you don't have to worry about money anymore.
1: That would be really nice. Yes. He
0: wants to watch sports.
1: On the TV, TV. the boob tube.
0: Apparently, television didn't last much beyond 2040. What do you you think, Ruthie? Is that an accurate prediction?
1: I wouldn't be surprised if people don't have TVs because they just use their computers after 2040. 19 years from now, television's going to be obsolete. I don't know.
0: The way I thought of it was that I guess you watch television to experience different narratives and realities that couldn't be your own. Maybe so they would be watching shows about people, like, in the 20th century. Maybe. Would that be a thing? Because that would be like, if I lived on the Enterprise, why would I watch TV? Because when I watch TV, it's to be on the Enterprise.
1: For you, specifically. Yeah, for yeah. me. Yeah, yeah, that's,
0: yeah. That's, I was thinking about, like, well, would I was still yeah. watch TV on the Enterprise? Probably not. I don't know. Yeah, really.
1: there is a kind of, like, funny shot where... Clemens is like, well, what do you guys do for fun around here? And then it like cuts to Riker sitting beside one of those 3D chessboards, And it's kind of like, <laughs> oh, no, that. we have heightened ourselves beyond needing television. But it's also like, well, this is pretty rich coming from a television show.
0: Yeah, and, and also from a guy who sits around his quarters and watches, like, the, the holographic right. people dancing yeah. around. <laughs>
1: yeah, they don't call it TV. They just go to the holodeck for crying holodeck. out loud. But that, yeah. like, what's living through a, what's his name, Dixon Hill? Yeah. That's TV.
0: That's TV. by another TV. Another Except name. it can kill you. Yes. Yeah, I, I prefer,
1: personally, I prefer the kind where I'm not at risk of being literally killed.
0: Picard calls Riker to the bridge and Offenhaus wants to talk to him so he can phone Geneva. Offenhaus <laughs> is very like, let me speak to the manager. He's got he's, very much of that like yeah. attitude about him.
1: Okay, you don't understand. Things are different here. I think it's a
0: coping mechanism almost for it is. his part. Yeah, yeah, and
1: he it kind of comes up later. He brings that up, but it's like, he's like, oh, well, I need the Wall Street Journal. Like, can you imagine waking up 400 years from now being like, no, I need, I need a newspaper from when I was around.
0: Yeah, I, I, I'm i so assured, or at least clinging to the hope that the threads of my life as I understand them are still going to be, are still exist in this time in some form yeah. as to request them. And again, I I don't think that he actually thinks that. I, I do feel like it's more, it's almost like a way of, of assuaging panic. Mm-hmm, kind mm-hmm. of hiding on, or hanging on to these familiarities. Clemens tells Data that they want to find some... Low mileage pit woofies?
1: I think that means young groupies.
0: Yeah, that's that's pretty rough.
1: It's it's not good. Yeah, Clemens is not uh, not the best character by any means. Yeah,
0: th- most of the time I find him charming, but that that one statement yeah. was was cringy. There's another for later sure. where he
1: slaps Crusher's butt, which is oh, not fun. I, I think I
0: missed that in oh, my rewatch. Yeah,
1: that's, lucky you. That
0: sucks. Data and Riker discuss the. Three of them on the the way to the bridge, and Riker wonders how humans survived the 21st century. And you know what, Riker?
1: <laughs> Same. <laughs> I,
0: I I share that sentiment.
1: Yeah, no, let's see if we make it through. It it is kind of like I I, I do have to say there is a certain amount of hope in this that's like we can get pretty bad but maybe we'll turn it around.
0: Yeah, in my rewatch of uh, Voyage Home yesterday, McCoy makes a similar statement. Mm. He's like, they're walking around San Francisco in oh, like yeah. 1986 or whatever. And he's like, it's it's any wonder these people made it out of the 20th century. Yeah. Like, yep.
1: yeah, it is. It really is.
0: They're six hours now from the neutral zone and can't contact any outposts in the vicinity. And Riker thinks that they've all been destroyed. So this is this is a serious problem.
1: It is. And Riker, I gotta say, is like... He's really coming in hot in this episode. He's really like we should be fighting. We should be ready to fight. We should this is a trap. It's a setup. Um in a way that might again be related to the fact that uh, there weren't as many edits done on this episode because he's really into fighting. But he does make a good point. So Data says that all of their information on the Romulans is going to be out of date, and Riker's like, "Well, the upside to that is that the information the Romulans have on us will also be out of date. Like, let's let's come in fighting. They're not going to expect it." And Worf agrees, and Data's like, "Of
0: course he does. Yeah, of course course Worf agrees."
1: Um, But Data points out that that really will only work if the intent is, if the Romulan's intent is actually hostile and. And they really don't know that that's the case.
0: And suddenly their meeting is interrupted by Offenhouse, who managed to get onto the comm system and is insisting on talking to Picard. And as he's speaking, like, Picard leaves, goes down, and then...
1: He yells for so long. <laughs> yeah, he yells for
0: so long that Picard is able to come down and actually, like, enter the room. And, and obviously Picard is angry that Offenhouse has used the comm panel for anything other than ship business. And he makes this interesting point. Offenhouse is like, well, then why wasn't there... Why doesn't it need an executive key? Yeah. And Picard replies basically that, that we don't use those kinds of security measures on the ship because everyone is able to control themselves.
1: That's something that I've definitely noticed like communities where there is a certain culture of a certain kind of behavior. I like it's something I've seen in schools and even in like individual classes in schools and then other communities like you you are able to have less enforcement when you have a culture of like respect of other people's belongings when you don't need to be like okay we're gonna lock everyone's stuff up because people just uh, also again like people's needs everyone everyone's needs are met so it's not like you have to there's no like scarcity of resources you don't have to like steal to survive um that's an important piece as well but like when you've got a culture of like well let's just We've all got what we need, and let's respect each other's things. You then don't need to have like passwords uh, and yeah executive keys in the same to the same extent. But Offenhouse comes from a time when that wasn't the case
0: and it's kind of about power and authority. Picard explains to him that there there isn't any money anymore. yeah. And then Offenhouse explains that it's not it's his concern is not about possessions, but it's about power and the ability to control your life. And Picard essentially tells him that that kind of power is an illusion, yeah.
1: House is also very, like, he makes some classist comments about how, like, well, you couldn't understand because a military career has never been considered to be upwardly mobile. But, like, I work in business, and business is important, and people yeah. care about that. You're just a, an army guy.
0: Yeah, you just control the most powerful starship ever created by humanity. Yeah, yeah. no big, no big deal. deal. No
1: big deal. Yeah, and then uh, Raymond starts crying because she misses her kids. To his credit, Picard doesn't just foist her off onto Troy, although he, like, you know, he he tries to be comforting and (laughs) gives her a little awkward pat on the back. But he does ask Troy to come and deal with this. And I was thinking, I was like, it would have made sense for her to have been there from the beginning, but I also kind of like that she wasn't there because she was a necessary part of the main mission, which was, like, doing research on the Romulans.
0: Right, so now they've asked her. We we need you to step out of that role for a moment and and come into the other plot line. Yes, <laughs> because we've got issues going on here, and that makes sense because her expertise are needed in both areas of this story. Yeah, I understood why Raymond was crying at that point. I mean, it's one thing to be out of time that far, and then House is just creating like a completely toxic environment. Absolutely, and it it sucks. So Picard leaves, and Troy arrives and starts talking to Raymond who is having a really hard time wants to know what happened to her children and so they realize now well Troy might be able to find out what happened to the rest of her family and give her some answers
1: so meanwhile uh Clemens uh he he asked before before Picard left he was like I need to see that pretty little doctor of yours and you know just being so charming and but what he he wants like meds of some kind and Crusher's like but you don't have a medical need for it and I can't tell if it's like he doesn't have a medical need that she recognizes, but he is addicted. And and so he wants like some kind of drug because he he's feeling withdrawal symptoms or if he just wants them for fun because like (laughs) he wants to get high. Like, yeah, but that's it's clear that that's kind of what he wants. And then he's like, okay, fine. If you're not going to give me meds, like I want to hang out with that Android. And that's when he slaps her on the butt and she's like "Mm, much obliged yeah uh and then yeah so troy troy is showing raymond like 10 generations of her her progeny which is also sad and like i i feel like she's the most relatable of the three
0: oh yeah because like she's worried about people and family and and yeah the other two are i mean clemens is like okay well i'll just like reintegrate into the into this new life or whatever, yeah. He's trying in some ways that he can, but still obviously leaning on—I wouldn't call habits, but yeah. like choices that he would have made in the past—to find some kind of of footing. Totally. And then, of course, there's Often House. He's just where's my money?
1: Yeah, I mean, Often House. I don't think he is the sort of person who I would have chosen to spend a lot of time with, like now. No. <laughs> like. Claire Raymond, it's it's hard to know because it's hard to know what kind of person she was like because she's in shock. Clemens a bit much for me, but but Offenhouse, I can say for sure, like, no, you are not a person I would want to have in my life.
0: Data shows up in Clemens quarters and Clemens wants to have a party. Yeah. So he says he was it some suds, some songs, and some good, good times. Like a third yeah, S there. Yeah. There's an alliteration he has. But anyways, Clemens explains that he's not having a difficult time as the others because it's all the same to him. You know, it's just it's people yeah. and life and 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 whatever.
1: Riker calls uh, data to the bridge and he's like, We're approaching the neutral zone, and that makes Clemens uh, nervous. And he's like, What's what's a neutral zone? And who are these Romulans? And let's let's not invite these Romulans to our party.
0: Data's like, no, I think not. <laughs> so in the neutral zone, the outposts are are gone with, with no trace. There's no evidence of attack. And Worf says it's like some great force is basically just scoop them off the surface. Like they're just gone. Yeah,
1: it is weird. And Offenhouse can tell that something is off. And he, I guess part of his thing as like a, a business person, he had like good instincts about people. So he's like, he's like, I can tell that everyone on this ship is tense. How he can mm-hmm. tell that, but they've only, they've met very few people and they've been in that room is like beyond me, but whatever. He can tell. And Clemens like, yeah, for sure. But there's nothing, nothing we can do about them. And by the way, look at this uh, guitar that Data replicated for me. And it's got like all these sparkly stickers on it. It's has amazing. His name, it says Sunny. <laughs> yeah, it. it's great. Yeah. He
0: says, these folks don't need us swimming in their soup.
1: Yeah. And Claire Raymond is like, I don't care like <laughs> I have bigger things to deal with than what's going on on this ship like I'm having a bit of an existential crisis but Offenhaus,
0: who is a bit of a control freak he needs to be in power He needs to know what's happening so he leaves he just walks out ominously I guess there's no security keeping them in place nope. so he walks away back on the bridge we can't find the other outposts so Riker and Worf think the Romulans are up to something probably have maybe improved their cloaking device yeah. so They've used one in the past, maybe it's even better now, so they should probably go to battle stations.
1: Yeah, but Picard says no, uh, because, like, if they do that, then, like, if there is a Romulan ship out there, they'll be able to tell that the Enterprise is powering up their weapons, and he, like, like Troy said, he's like, they're not gonna make the first move, so... He doesn't he doesn't want to make the first move and have them retaliate but he does allow them to take the ship to yellow alert which often house hears as he's walking sneakily down the corridors and then he uh enters a turbo lift and he's like really confused cuz there are like no buttons.
0: <laughs> yeah, exactly. How do how do we get around anywhere?
1: Yeah. But then he he figures out he's like where's the captain and the computer tells him so he goes to the bridge which apparently you can just do.
0: war finds a disturbance on the sensors, but can't get a firm reading. And Riker wants to transfer power to the phasers and armed torpedoes. And again, Picard's like, no, we don't want to engage in battle. And you always wonder if that that first little... It's almost like a bit of a feint that we, sh- we see on the sensors. It's almost maybe like someone's trying to bait them into yeah. attack.
1: But like how many times does... Picard have to explain that he doesn't want to engage in battle.
0: Again, it may not be the best writing, but I think we're starting to see some of the inexperience maybe from Riker on this one. Yeah, that he's kind of losing his cool.
1: Picard is like, we don't want to. He started off the mission. He's like, we don't want to engage them in battle. And then as soon as something's wrong, Riker's like, we should get ready to fight them. And he's like, no, we don't want to engage them in battle. And then like something else happens. Like, let's shoot them. And it's like, okay, Riker, calm down. Calm down. Worf loses the signal just as Offenhaus Makes it onto the, the bridge, bridge and like no one notices <laughs> that he's there. And so LaForge thinks that, uh, yeah, they they have probably improved their cloaking device. And Picard's like, yeah, they they were probably trying to figure out what we were up to
0: and see if we would fire, yeah. right? Trying to bait them into firing. So Offenhaus makes his presence known. He's like, who the hell are they? When you're saying they, who are you talking about? And Riker says, Get them off the bridge. And security tries, but then stops to uh, watch as on the view screen, a Romulan warbird decloaks yeah, in front of them.
1: It's amazing.
0: And this is the first time we've seen it. We've actually... Seen, it's a cool ship design, and this is the first time we see it.
1: Yeah, I love the Romulan warbirds because, like, they have the cloak, but then they also... Even when they're, like, not cloaked, they still kind of look like they're half not there.
0: Yeah, because there's a big void yeah. in the center of the ship, the way it's designed. And then yeah. they're
1: this, like, dark glowy green color so it's it looks like it would i don't know be kind of reflective still yeah it's great
0: so picard wants to open hailing frequencies which is the whole point of what he's been trying to do is establish contact in relations and warf is surprised he's like these are robulins they believe humans and klingons are a waste of skin <laughs>
1: And Picard is like, get a hold of yourself, Worf. Open the hailing frequency. Control your emotions. So then he addresses uh, the Romulan vessel and Data says all of their systems are armed. But Picard says, yeah, but they haven't fired.
0: Romulans respond. They're slow to show up on the screen and there's commander Tabak introduces himself who Do You
1: recognize him? Yes,
0: this is uh, Mark Alimo who goes on to play Galdukad yes. uh on Deep Space yeah. 9 as well.
1: Yeah. No, you yeah. couldn't you couldn't just have him for this scene. He's too awesome for that.
0: He's too awesome. Yeah. So Picard says that their presence in Federation space should be viewed in an act of aggression and the Romulans are basically like well if this were an aggressive act we wouldn't be here having this conversation
1: basically yeah it turns out that their outposts the Romulans outposts have also been attacked
0: whoa so this is not just limited to the Federation yeah. outposts right this something is attacking both the Romulans and the Federation
1: yeah. So Worf is like, well, yeah, but that didn't give you a right to enter Federation space. And then Tabak calls him a dog.
0: He's like, yeah, silence your dog. Yeah,
1: yeah. That's rough. Super rude. And, and then Picard is like, um, he's a member of my staff. And also he made a good point. Uh, but but the Romulans basically say they don't need permission to enter Federation space. But they're also like, once we saw the the kind of attack we realized it was much too sophisticated for the Federation. The level of destruction was too high.
0: So Picard asks who's responsible. And this is where now House's ability to read people kind of comes into play because he's still standing at the back of the bridge. <laughs> and he's like, He doesn't know. He says to Picard, he's like, he doesn't know. He's hoping that you know what's going on. But he's too arrogant to ask. Riker again says, like, you're not supposed to be here. Get him (laughs) off the bridge. And Picard's like, yeah, but you know what? He's right. The Romulans also don't know what's going on. And they were hoping that the Federation did. So Picard proposes that they cooperate with each other. Since they're dealing with some other foe that's more powerful than both of them. And subcommander commander agrees that. As long as it's convenient for the Romulans, then they are going to play along with this.
1: And then Tabak has this, like, big speech, which didn't fully make sense to me.
0: Your presence is not wanted. Do you understand my meaning, Captain? We
1: are back. It's, it's not totally clear what they were doing before, but basically... He's like, We need we realize now we need to keep an eye on you all. So we're back.
0: So we're back. Yeah. And then they basically just close the channel and fly off.
1: Yeah. And they're awesome, awesome ship. I love the the Romulan warbird.
0: They are really cool ships. Yeah. So now they, they're like, okay, security finally gets off and house <laughs> off the bridge. <laughs> finally. It's so get him out of here. So long. Picard looks at the view screen with like this thoughtful look. Something significant has happened. Yes.
1: So then in the guest quarters, Troy has found someone named Thomas Raymond and that was Claire's son's name. She had a son, Tommy, and uh, there's a family living just outside of Indianapolis and she gets a picture of this Tom and Raymond. It is actually her great, 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 great grandson. I think that was right. I think there were five greats. Uh, but it looks just like her husband. So that's kind of nice. And she's kind of worried about going to see him. But Troy's like, I mean, it's a place to start. They are family.
0: Guard has arranged for a ship to rendezvous with them, the USS Charleston, yeah. that will take all the three of them back to Earth. And of course, now they're worried because they have to figure out how to reintegrate back on 24th century Earth. And so often House is worried because... He says, I have like no money. I have no office. And Picard says, well, the material needs no longer exist. The challenge, because like basically he's like, what's the challenge? Like, yeah, what's, what's the how point? Do I? And he's like, well, the challenge is to improve and enrich yourself. And that's I, like, this is a very simple overview of how I wish things were here. Yeah. It's like so much of my own time, I I feel like is set on on survival. Yes, We had a period of time where I think everyone got to see how things could be a little bit different, where at least in Canada, when at the outset of the pandemic, our government instituted something called CERB, the Canadian Emergency Response Benefit. And basically, it was a payment that was given to people who had lost their jobs during or due to the pandemic and couldn't work. And so I I got laid off from three jobs in two weeks. I was like, what am I going to do? And so this this benefit was instituted. And basically, a lot of people had said it could be a model for something like universal basic income. Everyone would have a guaranteed payment to ensure that you're not just like struggling to survive from like month to month to month. Having the freedom to not worry so much about survival. I had so much more time to take on other creative pursuits. One of them was this
1: podcast. Yes, one of them is we're working on right now. We're,
0: one of them we're working on right now. So literally, like, this project would not be happening if it weren't for opportunities like that. Yeah. We're often so bent in this idea, we're sold on this idea that the challenge is about survival and how well we have survived or, or created that sense of security. But what if that was already provided? Yeah. And I think part of the argument is like, oh, well, then everyone would be lazy and no one would want to do anything. I don't believe that. I think people would have all kinds of things that they want to be able to do and and creative pursuits that they would have. And I think that's the point Picard's making here.
1: I totally agree. I think Offenhouse and Picard are providing simplified but i but still pretty accurate representations of the sort of for and against basic and universal basic income that mm-hmm. Offenhouse is taking the against. he's saying, well, if there's if no one has any money, then, what do people work on? And Picard is like everything.
0: Yeah, everything. They don't
1: need to do it for money. And the other thing that I think is important to note, so people who have had to work really hard just to make enough money to survive, if they were then given the opportunity to stop doing that or to pause doing that, there would likely be a period of time when they would like not work for for a, for yeah, a while like rest. Be, <laughs> because they would have to rest because they Yeah. because capitalism is exhausting. And I think that people who argue against UBI would probably look at that and be like, "See, they're not working." Um yep. but if we were to take a really long look at it and so then we're looking at people who are not exhausted by having to work so hard to survive then I think you would find the opposite would be true. I think people would be doing so much more with their lives.
0: I think in a way this circles back to our conversation at the start. Yeah. Find a way to make a significant contribution to the present and to their society. Right. And I feel like when people are making the argument that, no, if it weren't for the need to survive, people wouldn't be forced to contribute to the rest of society – That argument actually comes from a feeling of disconnection from society to begin with Mm. because they don't see how they themselves might make a contribution or how other people might because they don't understand their connection to that wider society. And that's the unfortunate part of how our economy is structured. We're so fragmented from one another. It it always attacks that sense of community. But well, Clemens, he knows what he's going to (laughs) do.
1: Yeah, he's excited to release his old music because everyone forgot about it. So he's just going to... Do the same songs.
0: I wonder if there's any like apocryphal stories, like non-canon stuff about what happens to him in the future. Yeah. <laughs> I, would, I would be interested to know. <laughs> the
1: adventures of LQ Sonny Clemens.
0: <laughs> in the 24th century. <laughs>
1: he wants to take Data with him, but Data's like, oh, that's intriguing, but no.
0: He's like, I've got a job, thanks. <laughs> I don't want to be like one of your roadies. Yeah, no,
1: thank you. On the bridge, LaForge points out that the Charleston is going to be making an extended stop and he's like, He's like, we could actually get them to Starbase Sierra earlier and like cut months off of off of their trip. And Picard says, yeah, but they'll benefit from this long trip to acclimate <laughs> basically he's like yeah but I don't want them on the ship anymore
0: <laughs> you just don't want them on the ship That's yeah exactly yeah exactly yeah.
1: and uh like even Riker is like yeah it's kind of fun having them it's like a visit from the past and I feel like Picard then speaks not just for himself but also like for the show where he's like our mission is to go forward and it's just begun there's still so much to do still so much to learn that he's like this has really just been our first season but we're going places like, to the audience.
0: This is the season finale. <laughs> it's not a terrible episode, but it certainly doesn't have the the weight that other finales for Star Trek have. Well, actually, second season finale is not that great either, it's but not. that's 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 an external force out of their control, because that's what there's a writer's strike. Well, on, I,
1: I guess there was one here, too. I also wonder, because I don't watch a lot of TV from like this, like for the 80s, but like... What were season finales like? Were they big deals like in on other shows? Do you know?
0: I now that you mention it, I don't really. I didn't watch anything else, so <laughs> maybe that was standard yeah. and it it wasn't such a big deal. Yeah. Now that you now you mentioned it, I yeah. don't know.
1: Anyway, it is weird that the previous episode was not the season finale because that was such a cliffhanger, and then this is like a different cliffhanger that there's something and I don't know are we supposed to think that there's some connection between the conspiracy in the previous episode and then what happened in this episode it's really not clear and then also the Romulans are back and that's a cliffhanger I mean well there are Romulans later on but like with the outposts I don't think that's fully resolved
0: it does in the next season
1: oh it does okay all right well, yes,
0: because go. this this is actually a foreshadowing of the next big baddie that is going to be introduced in season two.
1: And we'll talk about that.
0: And we'll talk about that. But yeah, they do cite back or reference oh, this they? episode okay. in that episode.
1: All right. Okay. Yes. So there's a little bit of that. But it is, it's just, yeah, it's such a funny finale. And it's almost like there are things, I don't know how, again, like I've said before, I don't know how TV works. But like if you've got this writer's strike. And you have all of, like, this episode, you're not able to make it as good as you could have. Like, they couldn't be like, you know what? We ended on a pretty good note. Why don't we just leave conspiracy as the final episode of the season?
0: Yeah, I think there's, there's a number of episodes per season that are ordered. And I, I guess you have to fill that order. So, yeah, anyways.
1: Anyway, that's uh, that's the episode. Yeah, so
0: thank you so much for listening to this episode or to the season of With the First Link. That brings us to the end of season. Well, we did it. We did it. We did did a whole season. We finished
1: season one. Yeah, so we're going to take a few weeks off uh, before coming back with season two. Uh, This has been super fun.
0: It has been super fun. Thanks for joining us. Yeah. Ruthie, when you first reached out to me about doing the show. Yeah. You know, it's over a year ago now. And then (laughs) here we are a year later. We finished the first season and we've joined the Trek Geeks Network. Yeah. It's pretty exciting. Super
1: exciting. So we'll be back with season two. Uh, Things are a little different in season two. Don't want to spoil too much. You know, there might be some different facial hair, different colored uniforms. It's all exciting. It's going to be good times.
0: (laughs) So in the meantime, if you've liked what you heard, please feel free to leave us a five-star rating and a review on Apple Podcasts or your podcast provider of choice.
1: Our cover art was created by Nathan Nunn, and you can find more of his work at NathanNunn.ca. Our theme song is An Amazing Adventure by Flame Lion Studio. You can follow us on Instagram at firstlinkpod, or you can send us an email at firstlinkpod at gmail.com. Maybe you can explain to us how the neutral zone and Federation space work, or what season finales were like in the, the 1980s. Any Any of that stuff that we clearly don't know, please feel free to inform us. I'm Ruthie.
0: And I'm Matthew. And if you love someone, consider the gift of cryonics. <laughs>